Hi there, I'm Jennifer Stewart. And I'm Katherine Clark. And we're kicking off a new year and a new season of The Honest Talk. We are so excited to bring you even more conversations with some of North America's most inspiring women. And as usual, we're leaving behind the talking points and bringing you real, raw, and honest talk. Through these conversations and the fabric of each woman's unique story, we're creating a community of compassion, strength, and unity for our guests and our listeners. So tune in and let's get right to it. Susan Aglukark is the first Inuk artist to win a Juno, and she has won not just one Juno, but three. She has also received the Order of Canada, a Governor General's Performing Arts Award for Lifetime Artistic Achievement. She holds honorary doctorate degrees from several institutions, and she has performed before heads of state and royalty. But Susan has also faced and overcome many personal challenges over the years, and Jen and I are just so delighted to welcome her to the podcast today to learn more about her remarkable and courageous journey so far. Susan, thank you so much for being with us. We're really delighted. Well, thank you for having me here, Catherine and uh, Jennifer. When did you realize that you were an entertainer or that you had that in your blood? The moment I knew I loved the stage, I would say was about 12, 15 years ago when I understood the difference between entertainer and singer-songwriter. Because I struggle with the term entertainer because of all the implications. I'm not a dancer. I'm not going to move mm-hmm. around on stage. I'm not, I'm not doing any. I'm a storyteller, singer-songwriter is what I decided I was. You have, in fact, called yourself an accidental artist. What What is it that first got you into a recording studio or singing on stage? So the first year, uh, the, within the first year that I was living in Ottawa, I get this really random phone call to my office. I was with Indian Affairs in Hull, Quebec, across the river from Ottawa. And it was CBC Northern uh, Services. And they used to have their head offices in uh, the Chatelorier, so the top floor of the Chatelorier. We call it the Castle Hotel. And um, it was uh, uh, Les McLaughlin was his name. And CBC Northern Radio used to do annual LP production. So they would literally collect names of singer-songwriters across the North, whether that be Inuit or First Nations from Arctic Canada. Um, They would collect names and record an annual recording. So once a year, they put out an album, an LP. Long story short, I submitted seven songs and they all got selected and they ended up on this CBC radio project. I licensed them back and released a cassette tape called Dreams For You. Met the producer, Randall Prescott, who was CBC's producer, who talked me into, why don't we keep songwriting? And so in a studio, I think it was in Clayton, Ontario, outside of Ottawa, we were there uh, every other weekend or so in songwriting. but really, the conversation with Randall at the time was, listen, Randall, I, I'm, I'm not a singer. I'm not a songwriter, but I have things I need to say. Um, and if I'm going to write, they're going to be very personal songs. If you're okay with that, I will explore this with you. And that was the Art of Gross album. It's really interesting. So you weren't actively pursuing a career then in the field. It kind of fell onto your lap. When you you got that call from CBC, did you have like an aha moment? Like, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. I should have a transition in career paths. Like, what what was that that moment like for you? 
you know, even then, and I would even say throughout the recording of the Arctic Rose album in the recording studio, it still hadn't hit that, um, you know, you're not a bad singer and you could become a better, you know, this could be your life. I, it just, it just wasn't there for me yet with the Arctic Rose project. There are all these moving parts and they were all happening and everybody who was part of that saw this but i wasn't there i just didn't see it and for a lot of different reasons but mostly because and that's work we do now with the charities we don't nurture dreamers so i didn't mm -hmm. know that as an indigenous person as an inuk person coming out of nunavut or inuit nunangat was nunavut yet um that this could be my life i just i just wasn't there yet so even with the release of the arctic rose album and doing this northern tour i didn't even feel like I could be a singer-songwriter and this could be my living. It, I would just wasn't even there with the articles album. Was it a form of imposter syndrome? Like, I don't deserve this? Um, or was it just, this is something completely new and I, I don't have my mind in that headspace yet? I think it was all of that. I, I know for sure that even with the articles album and the release of it, and we did the Northern tour and I thought, oh my goodness, I'm doing this. For sure there was that guilt that my life was turning around. It was all feeling so good. And I certainly had that imposter syndrome um, uh, going on with that. Uh, and the guilt of success, quote unquote, because we weren't even really sick. What is success? We weren't quite there yet. Um, but all of that, I, I, I also... You know, in, in hindsight now, um, I just think how fortunate I have been that 30 years later, I'm still doing this because then, and I would say for the following five, the next five years or so, I was coasting. I was just clueless. You know, some part of you knows this is incredible. I would wake up every morning and I would think, oh, I'm doing this. This is happening. And I was young. And when you're young, you just go for it. And a part of me was just always stunned that this is happening. But there's also a part of me that was always so scared because there was so much to learn mm -hmm. on stage. Am I an entertainer? Am I a singer songwriter? Am I really a singer songwriter? Do I write good enough? Do I sing good enough? Do I belong here? Or somebody else is going to come along? All of this was always going on in those first couple of years. Did you have anyone that you could rely on or turn to for, for advice? Because like you say, you were really young and you were just finding success quickly and frankly, you know, somewhat unexpectedly, this wasn't your career path and you were winning big awards. Did you have anyone you could turn to? Mm, I love your questions because no, and no, nobody understood it. I couldn't go to my parents because on that side of this big yawn, this big black, I, I saw this as this big black hole between me and the other side, people on the other side um, were so excited and as starstruck as I was and we were all like holy you're doing this this is happening um, but really what I was learning in terms of the work that's involved and how much learning I had to do to catch up and to keep up I was learning this and starting to see this and they weren't because on the other side were the fans and the fans on that side my family my parents people I grew up with people I knew were so enamored with the potential as well. So everybody was on that side was like, you're doing it. This is great. Actually, it's not great because it's really scary. Is <laughs> <laughs> how I felt. But, you know, what was happening too, and this is where I, I started to kind of remove myself from the fear, was 
through the Arctic Rose album, I mean, I get asked a lot, if you had known it was going to be your life, would you have been as honest as you were with Arctic Rose? I would have had to have been because that's who I was at the time. And what's been happening since is as afraid as I was, I was also getting quote unquote better. I was Mm. starting to see the healing benefits of engaging an outlet. The outlet was songwriting and writing. Um, And that was happening at the same time. So I kind of had to take a step back. And and as much as I was always afraid and panicking, I was like, okay, wait, something's changing. And I really like what's changing. And do I keep exploring that? And I chose to explore that. That's really interesting. Did you ever have a moment in your career? And at what stage did it happen where you realized that this was an incredible platform to not just sing and songwrite, but to help others in the North? Probably in stages, but the process of uh, committing to a record deal, committing to a major label, and choosing the next producer, that was very, very intentional for me. I knew that the decisions I was making I had to be as responsible for them, which meant these people are watching every move I'm making. There ended up being this dual path, um, the pressure to make the quote unquote right decisions while honoring the person who's learning and growing through the career. So, yeah, you know, it was in, in those early years, it was always this kind of dual figuring things out while okay, I'm picking a team now that will support me. And that was right. the new producer, the new musicians, uh, all of this thing. I was now intentionally creating a team that would help me keep getting better, keep healing and keep moving forward with the career. Do you ever resent that there is an affiliated role model persona to what you do? Do you just ever wish? No, no, okay. no. I, I get it. I really, really get it. I grew up in that environment, you know, and I don't, there, there are days when you're just so exhausted. You can't let up ever, right? And so you're, you're just exhausted. And I learned to find a balance. I'm going to have today, today, for example, is my me day. I'm going to do the thing that I enjoy doing all day long with no pressure to have to do something. I learned to do that. Actually, when my son was born, you know, when my son was born, I, I learned to take aside some time to be just his mom, um, just my husband's wife, uh, just a family person and just the things I enjoy doing. And that was about 96, 97, 1998. So can you follow up on that? Because that's a really interesting point about learning to, to just kind of take that time. Did something happen that made you realize you needed to take that time or was it, um, you know, was it just kind of the shock of suddenly having your life so profoundly changed by the arrival of a child? What, what was it? So between between the albums, like the debut album, This Child was a massive hit. None of us was really prepared for that. Truly, none of us were. The record label, the agency, the manager, myself, uh, even my producer. We, we knew what we were creating. We loved what we were creating, but nobody was really truly prepared for the hit, OCM and Hinanaho. Uh, so that was the, the release of This Child. There was massive, of course, massive pressure then to, to follow it up with another hit album, So between those two albums, I got married and I had my family. I had my son. And coming out of the hit album, 
and the pressures attached to that um, really forced me to take a step back and to learn to assess and understand what they expected of me and what I could give. Um, and I was, I, I was pregnant, uh, I was married, and I realized that they don't know. And when do I decide as an Indigenous person to, to start speaking up for the things they don't know? And when do I stay true to the journey of the artist who was just learning to be an artist? You know, all this, this stuff was going on. And that's when I had to really step back and figure out how to be, um, I was postpartum depressed, you know, so that forced me to really learn to assess my personal health and how much can I give to this. Mm -hmm. Um, and so I had to step back. Okay. What you don't know is today, not my responsibility. Uh, I'm responsible for, I'm waking up. I'm going to be the best mom I can be for my baby and the best wife I can be for my husband. That's today. (laughs) And the more I learned to create those boundaries, the more I learned when I need them, create them. And that's going to be 10 times a day. That's going to be every day. That's going to be once a week. That's going to be twice a month, whatever it is. Mm -hmm. But the pressure of having to create another hit album, I released myself from that pressure. And that made a huge difference. That was about uh, 97, 1998. Hmm. And postpartum depression is something that, you know, as you know, so many women struggle with, but we often don't talk about it. Um, and therefore, we don't, we don't get the support we need from, from others in society. And often we get pushback when we put those boundaries in place because there's, there's not a strong understanding as to why we need those boundaries or why we're doing that. What can we do or what advice would you offer to women that are dealing with postpartum depression right now based on your experience? The immediate answer would be boundaries. Um, you know, I was, I, I, and I still am to this day, my greatest supporter, fan, and partner is my husband. Right from the very beginning, I think we were so honest about each's role in each's career. I, I was very clear with him when we got engaged. I was already pregnant, and I said, I'm happy to do this on my own. I don't want you to feel pressured to raise this baby with me. Uh, that was one part. We were already engaged. And we said, no, we're going to have this family. Uh, and then I said to him, but I'm also going to carry on with this career, which means I'm going to travel a lot. I love to travel. I'm going to keep doing that. You have to know that. And then we had the baby. And then I went into postpartum depression. Um, and he was a partner at the recording studio and he's a sound engineer. So his hours were wonky. Um, so You know, I think a lot of it came back to being very clear and being very upfront about the other's careers and what you can work within. He he started to see right away that I'm not I'm not getting out of bed in a hurry here. Um, And frankly, I really don't want to get out of bed. Um, so he would take Cameron and he would leave in the morning and he would come back and he said, I have to go to the studio now. So I would get out of bed and I would just slowly get into the routine of the day, you know, mm-hmm. um, being honest, um, setting as much of a routine as you can. Uh, but it really does also come down to the right partner mm-hmm. and who is that partner and do they understand that you really are struggling, that it is really, really black in our heads in very dark in there and it's really hard to come out of that darkness um by having the right uh, support 
sure makes a difference. Yeah, it's so important. You have faced so many challenges like that, Susan. I mean, the postpartum depression is really one that so many women do share, like Jen was was saying, and your advice is incredibly helpful. But you've also, um, you faced sexual abuse as a child too. Can you talk to us about how that impacted you as an artist, but also just as as a woman later in your life? Mm-hmm. So I left to leave. I left after the court case against our uh, against the the uh, the abuser, the pedophile, um, and I moved to Ottawa, and that was why I had left. And now, in hindsight, again, um, it's kind of like back to the whole imposter syndrome, um, the guilt around how I was so fortunate to stumble into opportunities and circumstances that have become my healers. Um, You know, in those early years of living in Ottawa, I intentionally created an isolated life. I needed to do that. Uh, I had also decided uh, when I moved to Ottawa, I, I don't want a partner. I knew I knew I was going to have a child. I wanted a child, <laughs> um, but I didn't. I didn't want a partner because I knew when I moved away as a young woman that I'm really going to struggle in a partnership um, because of these these little demons in my head that I didn't know then I could confront, that I could deal with them, that I could work through them. I didn't know that then, so I had just kind of relegated myself to a life of isolation, which is not a life of loneliness. Um, I knew that then. And then fast forward, I meet my now husband. We're actually going to be celebrating our 25th anniversary on June the 4th. And we've been together for 27 years. Um, Yeah. But it was kind of these, oh, darn, darn, I'm in love. What do I do? (laughs) (laughs) when that happens I hate it when that happens (laughs) so it it was scary because I knew what I was bringing to the relationship and again I wasn't entirely forthcoming in terms of um, here's my little demons honey Um, what do we do about them I knew though that I had again through the process of that cassette tape and then the following dreams for you album that something was changing and I had to trust that I was getting better and well enough that I could do my best and give my best in this relationship because I really wanted it. Um, But for sure, even today, and um, I was eight, nine years old when I was assaulted, even today, and I'm going to be, I'm 54 I have night sweats and he understands them now. Um, You know, he lets me do my silly routines, which is close all the closet doors, make sure the curtains are closed. And those are things that are never going to go away. Those are habits we've developed to deal with some of those demons. Um, But again, I, I look back and I think I never, ever imagined or dreamed that I would be this woman today living this incredible life. We've worked really hard for it and we have intentionally built. But when I left home, who I was when I left and who I've become 30 years later, absolutely never imagined this would happen. And yet here it is. And again, there were always, and I've accepted them. I've built boundaries around them. I've built habits around them. There'll be those demons that we never truly deal with. But we can 
we can, for the most part, focus on the stronger parts. And that becomes a big part of your life. Well, I think you're incredibly brave. What uh, what gives you hope, Susan? Um, watching and witnessing, observing and being a part of the next generation doing so much better. I mean, we have as Canadians and as Indigenous people so much work to do. But what we had access to in terms of role models and programming and examples, living examples, wasn't what we have now today. Uh, and we have so much more now today to draw from. And that's exciting to watch. And that gives me continued energy and hope to keep working, to keep moving forward. I mean, I see young people now doing so much incredible work in these areas. And that's the stuff that gives me hope. But you know, Susan, you are one of the first people to stand up and start giving people hope in that way. And so some of that credit falls to you for for providing an example of of what can be. So I just can't tell you how grateful Jen and I are to have had the chance to talk with you today. You have an incredible story and, and we appreciate that you were willing to share it with us. Thank you. Thank you so much for the, uh, for the platform and for the opportunity. That's a wrap. And to our listeners across Canada and around the world, thank you for joining us. You can subscribe to The Honest Talk on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcast. You can also listen on our website, thehonesttalk.ca. We've got inspiring, dynamic guests lined up, and we look forward to having you back for The Honest Talk.